15 verses 1 through 17. Those who remain with me will bear much fruit. Chapter 15 covers once again the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Apostles. What's different this time is Jesus uses one of his agricultural parables to pointedly prove a point to them and to many respects us. And by that I mean even though Jesus is specifically speaking to them, the theological concept of connectedness between God and man is laid out from the beginning. And in this case, what is true then is true also now. That said, let's keep in mind that wherever they had had the Passover meals behind them, they are on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane and essentially the end of uh, uh, Jesus' pre-crucifixion ministry and thus his life. With that said, John chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Hear God's word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. Our Lord begins by referring to a vine and the necessity of the branches of said vine remaining connected to the main vine. It's a, you know, it's a basic agricultural principle known the world over, right? You need to be attached to that root, that main trunk. Otherwise, there's no life, only death. And so likewise, Jesus uses this to prove the point that 
you know, if they want to live, they have to be connected to him. If they want to bear fruit, they have to remain connected to him. And that's the entire point of being part of the vine, fruit bearing. We're to bear fruit, godly fruit. And that is equally the point of being part of the assembly of those called out, the ecclesia, right? The assembly, the church, the concept of connectedness, not just to God, but to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. No lone rangers for Jesus, no home alone allowed. Equally, and even more to the point, vines are to bear fruit, not to be some monk or nun sitting atop of a mountain as a renunciate, having nothing to do with the world and contemplating the sound of one hand clapping in the name of Jesus, as it were. We can see that from the epistles and the fact that St. Paul was always on the move to different countries and to different cities. He was always planting. He was always watering what had been planted either by himself or by other disciples. Equally important is the fact that Jesus tells us that the Father prunes the branches that sprout from the vine. Why? Because those that are truly connected with the vine will grow back and bear even more fruit. And how does he prune through difficult times, right? Yay! Um, but that's how it goes. The ones that do not grow back were really not of the vine in the first place by virtue of the fact they did not bear any good fruit. That's why we're told, judge a tree by its fruit. That's in the Sermon Mount, by the way, the Sermon on the Mount. Many people have asked good questions about horrible things that have happened to what was supposedly good Christian countries. And first and foremost, obviously that's all in God's providence, right? But secondly, secondly, related to our verses today, God was testing said country or countries by the act of pruning, sending trouble. The more ungodly said country became, or if after the trouble in the country ended, it was even less Christian than before, well, that proves the point. The branches were not connected to the vine. Something for us to consider living in America in the 21st century, right? Many Americans may have at once upon a time been members of the outward visible church that we could lay our eyes on, but when the persecution came or another form of trial or testing, or temptation, they proved, in fact, that they were not truly part of the invisible church saved by grace. They were not connected to the vine, that is, the Lord Jesus himself. That's why they did not survive the pruning and continue to bear any fruit. They are, as John clearly states in verse 6, bundled and thrown into the fire. And of course, we see something similar in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You're to be salt and light, but if you're good for nothing but the thrown, if you don't, if you're not salt, if you lose that saltiness, you're good for nothing but to be thrown under, in the street and trampled underfoot of men. So God expects us to gain an increase for him, right? So whether America's trampled under the feet of men or thrown into the fire, well, time and providence will tell. Either way, it is due to our staying in communion with God, or in the case of this parable, attached to the vine that we bear much fruit and prove that we are the disciples of Christ. And of course, by this, the Father is glorified.
St. John further down does a recapitulation of the previous week's text by once again saying that if they stay with Christ, keep his word and bear much fruit, whatsoever they ask will be granted them. Jesus also reminds them of the fact of election in verse 16 when he states, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and appointed you. Some versions say ordained you. Again, that sovereign act of God of grabbing hold of someone to not only save their soul, but to set them in motion as a representative of him and the Father to plant and water. It's Jesus who planted the seed in fertile ground that was able to receive the word with joy and gladness and go on to bear much fruit. And we see that you know, discussed in detail by St. Matthew in Matthew 13, the four different types of ground. Matthew 13 also explains the problem of Judas. Bad ground, because he had a bad heart. He could not hold the seed given him as he was driven by the threefold desires that St. John discusses in his epistle. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Returning back to verse 11, Jesus goes on to discuss the issue of joy. He's pointing to the fact that if we are truly in God's will, we will know it and should feel joy. We are created by God to be his vice regents, meaning his sub-rulers. We were to rule this earth as his representative stewards from Adam and Eve onward. We were to do this in a close obedient relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is our creator. Yet when Eve ate the forbidden fruit and Adam after her, well, all mankind by their fall lost communion with God, are under his wrath and curse both in this life and that which is to come. That's why St. Paul in Romans chapter 1 states that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. God is still angry about sin. The whole idea, well, there's no more wrath of God. We're in the New Testament now. I first heard that over 30 years. That's crazy. If that was the case, there'd be no hell. There'd be no need to evangelize. Jesus coming to earth does not change that reality, unlike what many evangelicals think. That's why we don't feel the way we should about our life on earth. That's why we're moody and lonely and maybe even alienated at times. That's why we have war, sickness, and death. The curse is still here with that power of the downward pull. With the coming of Christ into the world, we have a way to renew our communion with God and once again become his children. Yet the curse still hangs within the world and with it that downward pull. That's why we're told to resist the devil and he will flee. It's always there. That impulse of power to have our own way rather than allow God to have his way in our lives. But if we keep his word and seek to serve him with all of our hearts and minds, we should, we should not only feel a sense of purpose, but also of joy in our hearts. There's joy knowing that we have true purpose in our life because we are once again the sons and daughters of God. 
We still struggle against our sins and foolishness and so forth, but with the grace of God to renew our hearts and minds and the word of God to guide us, we have the tools to fight with because we have power from above rather than being captured and controlled by the power from below. We are not, as Jesus promised the disciples, orphans with no father. We are the children of God. We are, as St. Paul states, more than conquerors through Christ who saved us. We are part of the mystical body of Christ if we abide in him as branches on a vine. And of course, Jesus tells them and us that besides their love and obedience to him, they are to love one another. Of course, that's when it gets interesting, right? This is what manifests the glory of God in time, in history, and on earth. That love is what allows them to go on as the sons and daughters of light to bring the light of Christ to a dark and fallen world. As we remain with Christ and carry forth that light, we will bear fruit by bringing others to the light. Jesus tells them and us they did not choose him, but, but he chose them to be his servants and to gain an increase for him. They, the disciples, have remained faithful. Faithful to him, and so he called them friends. They are no longer merely servants going here and there to do his bidding. Now they are essentially going to be on their own, yet still to do his bidding. They will still represent him in the Father, but they will do so as independent entities in various places, all the while remaining connected, all the while as branches are connected to the vine. They'll be on their own as far as leadership, but they will be guided by the Holy Spirit who will lead them to all things. Again, the idea of paradox. They are on their own, yet they were connected and under orders. That's the whole point of the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18, 19, and 20. Our marching orders. Again, and as verse 16 made clear to them and us, who is responsible for them being his disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. The Greek is agapeo, to love. It means by way of definition to have a preference for, wish well to, regard the welfare of. It refers to a brotherly love that is similar to, yet different from, the other Greek words to explain the Father's love of the Son or the Son's love for the disciples, which is agapesa, which is even more preferential in the act of preference. It's not a surprise, as in those instances, Jesus refers to a divine love that symbolizes the act and acts. It symbolizes and acts out of perfection of a perfect being. Recall the statements Jesus made about him choosing them and ordaining them to ministry? Well, it's very similar to just as God chose Mary so likewise he chose these 11 men to do something quite special 
at this time in history for him and obviously for us. That's why we're here today. And of course, and in a dark sense, we can say that Judas was chosen also in God's providence. But it wasn't out of love for Judas, but for us. We do remember, however, that we do not love as God loves, either within the context of the ontological trinity and the relationship of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with one another, or the economic trinity of God's love expressed in history towards man. Yet, yet we're commanded, nonetheless, to love those within the household of faith in an unconditional fashion, according to the Greek word rendered love in English. And of course, that will be the most difficult thing that Christ asks us, right? We are instructed by Christ to forgive as well as to ask and expect forgiveness. St. James orders us, grudge not against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door, James 5. St. Paul wrote an entire chapter to the church at Corinth about this very thing. 1 Corinthians 13. Consider the aspect of marriage. Paul Ikeri wrote to the church at Ephesus, Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. It's an interesting uh, command, right? Why? Well, because wives have a way of getting on the nerves of men by being petty, disrespectful, disobedient, selfish, and therefore, in case of this, the husbands can become bitter and unloving. Wives are told to respect their husbands. Why aren't they told to love their husbands? Because it's natural for wives to love their husbands. But it's not natural for them to respect their husbands. Why? Because it's easy for wives to be disrespectful if they can't have their way. Or, or, and here we go, gentlemen, if their husband acts foolish, selfish, or outright stupid and sinful. Imagine that. Can you believe it? Husbands acting stupid and sinful. Wives will use those unfortunate attributes of their husbands as a justification as why they don't have to respect their husbands or be thankful to their husbands. The point being, there's a reason why St. Paul has those commands in a series of verses dealing with marriage, right? Because those are the sinful tendencies of men and women who are married. Men become unloving and bitter toward their wives, and wives do not respect their husbands. Again, nothing is in Scripture by accident. There's no filler. And now a word of, from Gillette. There's none of that going on. It's all in there by God's will. So likewise, our Lord ordering his disciples to love one another. It's kind of odd. They've been hanging together for three years. But let's be honest, they, those vines, are connected to the branch that is Christ. And he, and he really pushes down hard on that in this chapter because there's a tendency of those men to want to have the preeminence. Even one of their mothers asked Jesus, hey, can my two sons sit on the left and right of you when you come into your kingdom? And, and the very night that Jesus is being betrayed at the Last Supper, they're bickering about who's the greatest among them, as the Gospel of Luke 
shows us. Terrible, of all nights, right? Of all gatherings, terrible. Let's ask God for the grace to uh, be not, to not be both presumptuous and hard-hearted, but to be open to the love of Christ, the leading of his spirit, and to be gracious to all men, but as St. Paul said to the church at Galatia, especially those of the household of faith. Let's pray. Almighty and ever-living God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, hear our prayers for this parish family. Strengthen the faithful, arouse the careless, and restore the penitent. Grant us all things necessary for our common life, and bring us all to be of one heart and mind within your holy church. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Amen.